1: Good afternoon, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Deborah Flora this afternoon on Christmas Eve, Eve. News Talk 710 at KNUS. Great to be with you today. Trying to keep warm. Yeah, I was out and about yesterday in these frigid temperatures. And boy, was it a bitter cold, I mean, and including Wednesday night. Wednesday night into Thursday was just, boy, it was sudden change and it was deep. And now it's getting a little bit, little bit warmer. And at least we have the sunshine. You know, I am thinking with the colder temperatures, it looks like we may have a white Christmas. I am dreaming of a white Christmas. I have been dreaming of a white Christmas. And maybe just maybe we will have that. 303-696-1971 is, of course, our telephone number. You can text into the show on the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone. You can also tweet at me out in the Twitterverse directly. I am at saying center. That's saying with an E, not an A, center on Twitter. And a couple ways to email yours truly directly. One, if you go to my show's page, the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, You can email me there off of 710knus.com. Of course, I do host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show Saturday mornings from 6 to 9, right here on 710knus. And you can also email me directly via my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is... E Z. So lots of ways to participate today and always here on News Talk 710 KNUS. So this hour, we're going to talk about a couple of topics. One, the state of higher education right now, post-COVID lockdown. What is the environment like on college campuses? And then free speech on the Internet. When we hear politicians say things like Vice President Harris did this week over at NPR, it should concern you, right? Especially when you think, okay, online platforms should ideally be a place where you have free speech. Well, then what if the government gets involved in encouraging or discouraging platforms like Twitter from allowing or opposing certain types of speech on their platforms. Here's a sample of the vice president.
2: So what I would say about any social media site is this. I, would, I fully expect and would require that leaders in that sector cooperate and work with us who are concerned about national security, concerned about upholding and protecting our democracy, to do everything in their power. To ensure that there is not a a, a, a manipulation um, that is allowed um, or overlooked that is is done with the intention of upending the security of our democracy and our nation
1: and what does that mean exactly well that seems at least somewhat in the eye of the beholder, which is part of the problem isn't it? So, how should we look at free speech on social media platforms? Let's talk about both of these topics today with a good friend of mine who is on the left. Often he's described himself as a leftist, but he's a little bit too reasonable, I think, to be a hardcore leftist. We'll find out, though. He is a professor, associate professor of communication at my alma mater of Regis University, where he's also the director of the debate program there. Professor Rob Margeson joins me now. Rob, Merry Christmas. Good to talk with you. Uh, Happy
0: holidays. Merry Christmas. Hanukkah. All of those things. Always a pleasure to be on the show, Jimmy.
1: Absolutely. It's good to talk with you. So how would you describe your politics to sort of set a baseline
0: here? You know, (laughs) I'm a little of everything. I mean, definitely lean towards the left. No question about it. More than lean. I'm I'm fully uh, in the left. I'm I'm not like a radical person by nature in terms of politics or anything. So, I you know, I have mostly leftist beliefs, but I'm not out there. burning things down and uh, screaming at people, so which is why you and I get along. (laughs) And we
1: have since I was a student at Regis, and I would have you and members of the debate program on my show back when I hosted Regis University Radio circa 2010, and you and I have been friends ever since, particularly thanks, though, to our mutual love of Government Mule, which is a phenomenal band, Warren Haynes, one of the best guitarists alive.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. We actually we went to that show, uh, the John Popper show, uh, not too long ago either. Had a great time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Rob, it's good to talk with you yep. and, and we could go in so many different directions. One thing you yep. were telling me a bit about, and I think this is going to be something very interesting to our audience here on KNUS, is what has happened in some of the fallout since the lockdowns and the shutdowns of the economy, schools, so on and so forth of 2020 into 2021 and what those impacts are right now on higher education, because it seems like there's it's pretty disastrous in many respects and is going to take a long time to recover. What's going on sort of big picture right now? Oh, it's,
0: it's a nightmare right now, and it's not just to Regis. I, you know, I'm a Avid Redditor, and I'm on all the various subreddits for professors, and everyone's telling the same story. You know, post-lockdown, a lot of these students, uh, you know, they were in the lockdown during high school, senior year, or at least part of it. So they lost their prom, and they lost their homecoming, and they lost their graduation. So they had these really important events in a a young person's life taken from them, which, you know, really affected them uh, emotionally and mentally. and then they come to college and they uh, get sequestered into their dorm rooms and are taking classes online and aren't allowed to leave. And so they don't make friends at college. They, they don't develop the social skills needed to navigate college. Um, during the, the lockdown, you know, administrations at universities all over the United States were kind of saying, you know, we don't. Let's get rid of due dates for a project. So, you know, any excuse a student gives to get out of doing anything, you should need to accept it um, because we're in this precarious time. Um, and now we're back in class, and students don't know how to engage with a professor because they don't, they've stared at the laptop for so long. They don't know how to engage with other students in a classroom setting. They um, still adhere to this belief that, you know, whatever I want to do, I can do, and you're going to let me. You know, I can turn my papers in whenever I want. I can show up for the day of the test or not. And if I don't, you're going to let me take the test next week. Um, it's it's really, really bad. It's going to take years. I mean, it's going to take years to reverse the damage that was done um, by the lockdowns. It's it's really, really difficult to teach right now. Um, To get students to care and participate is really, really difficult. So it's interesting. A lot of the focus
1: on the school shutdowns has been, in terms of the public discussion, has been on elementary school. Because kids who end up set behind in reading and writing in particular, as well as math, but especially that reading benchmark of, say, third grade, you can find... Struggles that they will have throughout the rest of their life. At least that's what the data tends to show. So there's been a lot of talk about elementary school, but what you're saying, Professor Rob Margison, Regis University, is that as a result of students being robbed of their high school experiences, and in many cases, this is precipitated mental health issues that have grown dramatically among young people. We've seen a lot more suicides that have gone on and so forth. As a result of that, there's a lot of talk about that, but just in terms of the basic social skills in terms of the basic fundamental ability to interact with others in an educational setting and otherwise that yeah. is that has been shattered
0: it's yeah shattered would be a good word it, it i mean i've been teaching at the university level for well over 20 years now at csu and then regis um and i've never seen anything like i know how to manage a classroom i know how to get students excited about the material i know how to get them to talk um I can't do that right now. Right? Like every trick I have in my bag right now doesn't work because these students are, they're checked out. They're checked out mentally and emotionally. So, you know, it's its really incredibly depressing to teach right now yeah. when everyone just kind of stares. Most of them just bring their laptop in and stare at that because they're so used to that. But, um, You know, and again, we're not allowed to, you know. Enforce
1: rules too firmly. (laughs) Well, that's a running theme with elementary, middle, and high school levels is the disciplinary issues. And then on the college level, whether it's Regis or CSU or you name it, there are limits being placed on the educators, whether it's a teacher or professor, from being able to enforce discipline, to really get students to focus, and so forth. Because it seems like there's an attempt to coddle these kids right now.
0: You know, you know and a lot of these students are, and I'm sure a lot of this is real, don't get me wrong, but a lot of these students are, you know, self-diagnosed, you know, oh, I have anxiety, I have depression, I have, you know, and we, we I say, well, that's not an excuse to not do your work um, in a class. And then they go to the administration, and the administration comes back and says, oh, yeah, it is, um, work with the student. So, you don't even have real administrative support around this stuff. They, They still have this kind of COVID mindset of if a student has an excuse, we're going to validate that excuse, and you're going to have to work with it. And like I said, it's not just me. I'm, I'm I follow higher education quite closely, and I'm hear the story from everyone of students. Just you can't discipline now, right? They're, they're, you can't say this is due on this day. You can't say you you shut your laptop and pay attention. You know, you you can't do any of that stuff because they'll just go to the next level, and the next level will say, hey, so- it's, you know difficult time.
1: (laughs) Well, having been a, a professor at the university level for over 20 years now... What are the long-term implications of this, because they're clearly they're, there's a mindset that has been set up, and that mindset is consistently being reinforced here. and so what does that mean long term, both for higher ed, you say years to recover? Will it actually ever recover if this mindset is not being shut down right now, and also in terms of the job market once these kids graduate from college? Oh
0: yeah, um, will it recover i don't I don't know. Um, I'm an optimist. I hope it does um, because I want to love my job. Um, You know, but in terms, I mean, I think the job market thing is is important. I, you know, I don't teach just to train people to work, but obviously they're going to work after they get out of college. And, you know, in college is when you learn deadlines and respect and interaction with other human beings around work and socially. And if we can push students through four years of college where they don't learn any of those skills, um, it's going to be really difficult for them to either get jobs or maintain jobs um, when, you know, they're like, I didn't do my work, boss, but, you know, I don't feel good, so I'll give it to you next week. That doesn't work. Um, We're outside of higher education. Well, I mean, this goes to
1: something conservatives have been talking about regarding, Frankly, millennials and Gen Z for a very long time And this notion of not setting in and enforcing any sort of expectations, and then you find that these kids are ill-equipped for sort of the real world. They have their own expectations of what they should get, a new sense of entitlement, and um, and you're you're espousing at least uh, or reflecting some sense at least since the lockdowns of reality to that argument it seems to me
0: yeah i mean that is what i am seeing Yeah, you know, i don't i don't necessarily think it's the gen z millennial trait right um i don't either i think i think it is um something that we're seeing as a result of you know a year and a half or two years of social isolation and um the ability to do what they want when they want without repercussion you know i'm Anyone who's taken a class with me will tell you I'm probably the most laid-back professor in the world, um, and so if you can't make, work with me on deadlines and stuff, I, you know I can't imagine what it's like in some of these classes with professors that are strict. Because <laughs> um, strict's not a word you'll use to describe me. Um, so yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate. You know, we saw it coming. Yeah, you know, but the hope is yes. okay, we get a classroom and things return to normal. Um, I don't know if anyone has the the magic. You know, bullet to return things to normal so.
1: One final question on this topic. Again, we're talking with Regis University associate professor Rob Margeson. What can parents listening or grandparents learn from this? What should they try and do to maybe help be a part of this? Because here, getting kids on track that are in college or in high school, whatever level, because. Clearly, there are home situations that impact this. This isn't just something where you know oh we need to blame the university or blame Rob Margeson uh, for what's happening in this moment. I would put a lot of blame on Regis, to the government, to various entities for the lockdowns that brought about this. but now, in this moment, there certainly is something that parents have can do, right?
0: Yeah, I mean it's tough. Because, you know, a lot of these young people are away from home. So, you know, you can't True. look over your 19 or 20-year-old child's shoulder when they are living in a dorm across the state or another state. Right. Um, I think I think what parents need to do is, uh, you know, be active participants in their, their, you know, keeping track of the work that their children are doing, um, trying to motivate their children to do good work. You know, I think they need these young folks, coming out of this experience, I think, need support from people who have their best interest in mind. Like, hey, we want you to succeed. We want to know what you're doing in your classes. You know, we want to, you know, do you want to share some of your work with us if you're proud of something? Like, I think they need some motivation behind the scenes to remind them that what they're doing is actually um, quite special, you know, in a sense. And important. Um, important and important. Yeah, same mind. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if, if they're not Hearing that from their friends, if they're not really sensing that on campus, um, I think there they needs to be support systems behind them checking in, saying, "Are you doing work?" Because I also hear from a lot of students they hate college, they hate mm. it, right? They like they, they, I'm miserable here, I don't have any friends, right? It just doesn't you know it doesn't feel fun, and um, you know the number of students like the, the enrollment declines across the United States are, are significant.
1: Yeah, it's starting.
0: Yeah, it's going to get worse. It's about to get worse. Um, because, you know, after the financial crisis in 2007-8, the birth rate dropped significantly. Yeah. So we're going to – it's going to be a lot worse. But now you're starting to have students who are like, it's just not worth going to college for me. It's not what I thought it would be. Wow. Um, mm. And so, you know, and it isn't – the social part of college is important, right? That's, you know, it's not like, well, you don't get to party, poor you, go to your work. Friendship and social skills and those are important to young people and Students are saying, I don't, I don't feel that here. So wow. Well, and, and
1: especially it's especially difficult when you haven't learned those social skills because you've been or you lost those social skills over the past few years. And then any complaint that you wanted to bring up is sort of coddled to the point where maybe you're you're getting exempt from work or you're getting allowed to to delay turning in your assignments, etc. So it's definitely important to keep in mind, uh, Rob. I appreciate you uh, bringing that forth a little bit. For us, we got to take a break. We're talking with Associate Professor of Communication at Regis University, Dr. Robert Margeson, joining us in the program. On the other side, let's get a leftist take on free speech online on social media. What should we be looking at online? How should we cultivate a, a, a view of free speech that allows expression of different ideas? And what do we make of when government gets involved and says, oh, we want you to push this narrative out there more or suppress this other narrative? He's taught some free speech classes. We'll keep the conversation going on that topic with Rob Margeson on the other side. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Fleury. You don't want to miss this part of the discussion coming up on Denver's Local Talk Leader News Talk, 710 KNUS. Coming back, don't you feel all Christmassy? Want to watch Charlie Brown Christmas? It's the band Goose, which is a favorite of our guest, Professor Rob Margeson of Regis University, doing Linus and Lucy. But look who it is. Coming up at 4 p.m., Mr. Stephen Tubbs is My in the man, house. my man. All it needs
0: is a little love. That's yes. all it needs. I've got some bad Especially news. Especially at
1: Christmas. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no.
0: I'm sorry, and I know you've got a guest, and you know I'm coming up, I'll have my time. I just wanted to come in here and let you know, man-to-man, eye-to-eye, you're talking Tay doll. It's not going to happen, Jimmy. Are
1: you serious? Yes,
0: here's why. There's litigation now. Oh, well, that's not surprising. Um, the Talking Tay's for Tay group, has fi- they filed an LLC. They've hired the law firm of... Craig Silverman. And they're they're going after me. So, yeah, so you will not get it. Maybe if you're lucky and you're good, if you're good next year. I've been waiting. Uh, Santa can't even provide one for me? No. You know what they did? They came and confiscated the prototypes. There's none to be had. Merry Christmas, brother. I don't know
1: what to do now. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just heartbroken. My talking Tay doll was supposed to come. And it's not coming for Christmas. Oh, of course. Of course, the lawsuits are going to happen. What else are you to expect? I'm not surprised. Bummer. Well, let's talk a little bit about free speech on college campuses. We have associate professor of communication at Regis University, my friend on the left, Rob Margeson joining us. Uh, Rob, I want to play a little clip to set context here as we continue our conversation. Jen Psaki, the former White House press secretary, had said this back in February when she was still at the White House about, what should or shouldn't be allowed online regarding issues of COVID?
0: So our hope is that all major tech platforms and all major news sources,
2: for that matter, be responsible and be vigilant to ensure the American people have access to accurate information on something as significant as COVID 19. That certainly includes Spotify.
0: So, this disclaimer it's a positive step but we want every platform to continue doing more to call out misinformation and misinformation mis- while also uplifting accurate information yes. it's a positive step but there's more that can
1: be that's a bit of a nudge from the government in terms of encouragement at the white house at a press conference but then you have instances where we're learning from the Twitter files, the FBI getting involved, Department of Homeland Security, etc., in at the very least nudging social media companies on things like this, even directing or, or providing some direction to those platforms. Let me ask you a big-picture question as somebody who is a free-speech guy. You've taught, you've had me come and speak to your free-speech class that you've taught at Regis. What is your take on that?
0: You know, it, I'm of two minds here. Um, probably going to agree with you more than your audience would have anticipated as we go through this conversation. Um, but I'm of two minds. One, I understand the argument she's making, and that you know, they're in the middle of that COVID stuff. There is some very dangerous misinformation circulating about the the illness, um, and you know, she uses government talk, right? We we really hope that they'll they'll do this. Wink, we, wink, we, nudge, nudge. Yeah, we'd want them to do this. And, I mean, you played the uh, Kamala Harris bit earlier, um, and that was just gobbledygook government speak, um, where, we're, you know, again, we're not going to tell you to do it, but we have the power to punish you in ways if you don't. Um, so we'll really hope you'll do it. So – You know, so I understand the desire to, you know, during the midst of a pandemic to minimize the amount of disinformation circulating, but I'm never comfortable with the government intruding in free speech spaces um, and insinuating that certain speech should not be allowed. Even though, again, I'm like, oh, that speech is pretty dangerous, (laughs) but um, I'm never going to be one to say, well, I think the government should intervene, intervene in Twitter or Facebook or Any of that stuff. Um on on that I guess I'm a kind of a free market
2: guy when it comes Mm -hmm. to free
0: speech.
1: I want to go back to this V P Harris clip for folks that are just joining the program so they can hear what Vice President Kamala Harris said earlier this week.
2: So what I would say about any social media site is this I would I fully expect and would require that leaders in that sector Cooperate and work with us, who are concerned about national security, concerned about upholding and protecting our democracy, to do everything in their power to ensure that there is not a, 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 a manipulation um, that is allowed um, or overlooked, that is is done with the intention of upending the security of our democracy and our nation fully expect
1: and would require that leaders in that sector cooperate and work with us do everything in their power to ensure and that was on the heels of what we've learned with the twitter files and the interplay with some government agencies and so forth i mean that kind of rhetoric coming from the top from any party to me is is deeply concerning because it's one thing and i would welcome you to speak to this professor rob margeson it's one thing for social media platforms as private companies to decide what content they want to allow or to censor. That's, they're right. But when you have the government getting in and either encouraging or discouraging or even directing certain things in that regard, that's a different story.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I wrote down while she was talking was fully expect and require. I don't, uh, I don't know what that means at all. I mean, that's there's so much contradiction in, in that little clip, um, and you can tell she's desperately trying to use the right words um, so as not to uh, inflame certain passions. Yeah, I mean, I what does that what does like, re- fully expect and require mean? That's that's my question with her is, what are you going to do if they don't? Right, you know. Nudge them, I guess. So you know, there's always been talk of legit legislation to remove certain protections from social media sites, and that legislation um, would be very damaging to social media sites. So that there's that, you know, kind of axe hanging over the head of, of social media of we can do something if you don't go along with what we ask you to do. So yeah, I'm not, I'm never comfortable with that. Again, it, it goes. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, maybe you know, certain things the social media sites should. Be aware of certain things that are, are dangerous, um, but I guess I just have to leave it up to the social media sites to make those decisions. Um, I don't need politicians, especially in a country where we change administrations relatively frequently. Um, mm-hmm. You know, dipping their toe in and saying this for now you can say this, but the next administration comes in, you can't say that, but you can say this and right from that.
1: Well, from that. let me ask you a bigger picture question. Again, Rob Margeson is our guest, associate professor of communication at Regis University. As somebody who, you know, you described yourself as most of your views are pretty leftist, what has happened to the left on free speech? Because we have seen, and we've talked about this some, you and I, before, but we have seen what seems to be a. A complete reversal of this idea that liberals were previously known for, which is the idea that we should allow for freedom of speech and expression of differing ideas to the point now where they're the ones advocating for censorship. They're the ones who are nudging social media companies to allow or disallow nudging. I use that word advisedly not, uh, to allow or disallow certain types of content. What has happened on the left? Rob Margeson.
0: You know, I think it's indicative of the political culture in the United States right now um, on both sides, but I'll talk about the last for you. Um, I think we've reached this point where a lot of people's principles have started to kind of fall by the wayside because they are so opposed to their political um, opponent. So it's, yes, we love free speech, but we really hate Trump. And so we will kind of... Set that principle of free speech aside for a moment and go after this person or go after these people. Um, And I still love free speech, don't get me wrong, just not from those people um, seems to be what's going on. And I think, you know, right now the left is definitely the party that's, or the ideology at least, that is most willing to forsake certain principles to not allow the people they dislike to have an opportunity to. get their voice out into the public sphere.
1: Well, it's interesting, too, going to the right and the left and the differential. You now are seeing a lot more suspicion of entities like the FBI and the CIA on the right when historically that has been something of the left, that the left has been the one saying, oh, be careful of these agencies.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just think the political toxicity out there right now is causing a lot of people to just – abandon principles altogether and say, I'll whatever it takes to damage my opponent. I'm willing to do, even if it means I have to violate things that I previously believed.
1: Um, and and to that point the FBI wrote in a statement to Fox News about these Twitter files that have been released over the past few weeks it quote it is unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit The agency, what do you make about something like that, particularly the choice of language by a government entity and one historically held suspiciously by the left saying, wait, this is misinformation and conspiracy theories. When we're literally reading, I don't know if you've read anything from the Twitter files, but we're literally reading emails and other things that have been on the record.
0: Yeah. I mean, what are they supposed to say? (laughs) We we did that. <laughs>
1: but that and, word misinformation I mean that's what's being used and sort of weaponized to promote censorship that the government would like to see
0: well everything now is a conspiracy everything is misinformation. everything you disagree with we, we we label it as misinformation we label it as conspiracy we label it as fake and the people that we're talking to who are on our side on a particular issue you know those are those are buzzwords that resonate with them. I don't need to do the research. They said it's fake. They said it's misinformation. you know. And so that's enough for me. Back to what I was doing. So, I mean, I think they're using the language of, of uh, the current political era and saying, you know, if we just call it misinformation, we're in the clear. Mm. And, if, and it works. It, it works for both sides, right? I mean, the, the, the whole fake news thing coming out of the right, if you say it's fake, it's fake. I don't need to do any research on it. If it's CIA or mm. FBI, it's fake. It's fake. I don't need to do any research on it. We've gotten very lazy that way. So here's, um, here's a
1: question then for the communication professor in you who also is a strong free speech advocate. When you see content that you think is bad or damaging or harmful online that in terms of the rhetoric that is used, do you suppress that or is it better to address it in other ways?
0: Oh, I mean, I'm a marketplace of ideas guy. I'm, ne- I'm not going to suppress anything um, if I have the ability to respond in a way that is meaningful. Like, I'm not going to re- like if I, someone puts out some nasty, deceitful tweet or post something on Facebook. I'm, there's, I'm not going to respond. It's, it's, it's pointless in those instances to try and have a reasoned discussion. So, I usually just look at it and go, "Oh, that's a shame um, <laughs> that someone's saying that." and it's a shame that people are reading it but there's nothing i can do in this space to make a difference but you know in like in a classroom setting and it doesn't happen all the time but it has happened or students have said things that i know are wrong and damaging not just wrong but you know damaging to particular populations of people or um i will say let's talk about that like let's where did you get that idea let's unpack that idea let's break it down what are the assumptions, this is the debate coach in me, of course, you know, what are the assumptions that are driving that statement you just made? Can we talk about those assumptions? I mean, the way you combat misinformation is by engaging in debate and dialogue. And even if it doesn't change that person's mind, that's not always the goal. The goal is to put the other argument out there so that people can see both. Um, so I'm not, you know, you come in and say a thing. I'm not going to say get out of my room. Yeah. I'm going to say let's let's talk. Right people just heard you say that, so but, but now that,
1: we've got to- you're someone trying to foster that kind of discourse that often isn't the case on college campuses where students. Are may have ideas that are just shut down, that it, it often does seem like there's an analogous situation, Rob Margison, to what's happening on college campuses and what's happening on social media in terms of just trying to say, like, this conservative idea, for example, is not welcome to even discuss and unpack. And to me, that just gets somebody to sort of cocoon themselves. They aren't getting into a discussion. They aren't having their ideas challenged. And that doesn't help anybody, whether it's that student or that person on Twitter or somebody else who may want to engage and better understand or may benefit from engaging and better understanding somebody with whom they disagree.
0: I mean, you and I have had this conversation before. I agree with you 100 percent. I, I, I understand that there are some people who should not be invited to any space to voice their opinion. Um, you know, we don't need extremely hateful, racist sort of stuff being welcomed. Um, but at the same time, you know, if someone is conservative or, you know, we'll, I'll stick with conservative for you. Um, I want, I want to hear their idea and I want to, and I will be the first person to go up to the microphone when they're done and they open for questions. I will be the first person to challenge them. Um, and I want, you know, again, I want people to hear what other people think, even if you disagree with it. And then I want you to hear what I think. So that you can make an informed decision as someone who's witnessing this exchange, as to what you think. So I'm, you know, I'm never going to be the guy that says we shouldn't allow, you know, anyone who is conservative to come talk on a college campus. Obviously, I invite you to my classroom. <laughs> so, I, I, I think I've, I've said this before, even on the, your show. I, I, I hate that. I just hate that. Right. But uh, I-, I am a passionate advocate for debate and dialogue. You can't have that when you say one side isn't allowed to talk.
1: Yes. Oh, no. So true. But notice how. Folks, notice how he said you. I invite you. No, I'm just kidding. Rob Margison, <laughs> <laughs> associate <laughs> professor of communication at Regis University. You may be a leftist, but you are one of the good guys in the sense of fostering discussion and being willing to engage because, as you just said, that's what you need to do. And it, it's not just shutting down or suppressing the discussion, on, uh, especially on issues where there really is a reasonable debate to be had, and differing opinions, but we have to leave it there. We'll talk again soon, and let's get together soon. We're overdue for a couple of beers. Rob Margeson uh, at Regis University, always a pleasure, my friend. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, all that good stuff.
0: All of the above to you as well, Jimmy.
1: Thank you, my friend. Once again. Associate Professor of Communication at Regis University, Rob Margison, joining us here on the program. You know, isn't it nice and refreshing? A leftist who actually appreciates free speech and doesn't want to just shut you down, but is willing to have discussions and engage? We need more of that. That's for darn sure. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for Deborah Flora. Let's take a break. We'll be back on the other side here on Denver's Local Talk Leader News Talk 710 KNUS. Beautiful tune from Eric Clapton. As we wrap up and wind down the hour, Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora. Stephan Tubbs is in the house. He'll be at the top of the hour. Good to be with you. Of course, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger show every Saturday morning from 6 to 9. And I do want to tease what we have coming up tomorrow on our Christmas Eve edition of the program, lots happening, including my annual check in with good old Santa Claus. I'm wondering if the uh, forthcoming Polar Express strike that elves were going to participate in and in solidarity is that, have they reached a resolution? We'll find out tomorrow. On the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, I'll be joined by my good friend Raj Rajkumar, who's a communications and crisis coach, and we'll go over different crises from this year. That'll be fun. Plus, I'll check in with my friend, Rabbi Jonathan Hausman of Stoughton, Massachusetts, a Havath Torah congregation, as we talk about Hanukkah, which overlaps with Christmas this year. And what Hanukkah is really about, is it the... Jewish Christmas we'll get an answer to that question with Rabbi Hausman tomorrow morning and then I am so excited I've been listening to this guy since I was in high school it was awesome to be able to have an opportunity I'm gonna have on tomorrow Reverend Jimmy Bratcher who's a Christian blues musician blues guitarist just absolutely incredible And he's going to be calling in. We'll talk some blues. We'll talk some Christmas. And let's, for fun, as we wrap up the show, let's give a little bit of a taste. Here's Jimmy Bratcher and his Go Tell It on the Mountain. He will be on tomorrow in the 7 o'clock hour. How about a little harmonica with this, too? for me tune in six to nine tomorrow morning the jimmy sangenberger show happy hanukkah merry christmas and by the way my jimmy junior blues band playing at Dakota tavern in parker 7 30 p.m next friday night the 30th have a great weekend merry christmas see you tomorrow god bless america